Acts chapter 2, verse 38, please. Very familiar passage. Probably one of the most familiar passages in Scripture for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter has preached uh, a full sermon. The crowd that is listening to him is convicted by his words, and they ask him, you know, now that you've said what you have said, you've declared Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. Peter responds and says to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a familiar passage that is for us because it contains, and a wonderful passage, because it contains, all in one phrase, the key ideas important to our salvation. The Bible has a, a, an economy of words somehow where it says a lot in a very few words. This passage talks about the precious forgiveness that God offers every single sinner from every single one of his sins. It also reveals the wonderful promise of the Holy Spirit to all who come to God. It also establishes baptism as the proper response of faith for all those who come to Christ in humble obedience. As a matter of fact, we often preach and teach on these points. And we use this scripture more than any other scripture to prove that baptism is essential for salvation. And that's correct. I'm not debating that point. That scripture is used to prove that baptism is a necessary step in the process of salvation. However, however, Acts chapter 2 verse 38 also mentions another important idea that we argue less about. I've never heard anybody arguing about this particular thing I'm going to talk about today. I've heard people argue about the Holy Spirit. I've heard people argue about baptism. But we discuss infrequently and many times pay little attention to an equally important idea and that is the idea of repentance. It says repent and be baptized. That conjunction there grammatically for you grammar buffs suggests that the things on either side of that word are equal. But we pay a lot more attention to baptism, not so much attention to repentance, and yet repentance is equally important as baptism. Without proper repentance, how effective is and can be baptism? So today I'd like us to study the idea, without discounting the other things, without discounting baptism or the importance of the possession of the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about that in weeks to come. Today we we want to talk about repentance. We talk about biblical baptism. You ever notice that in our, in our discussions? Very important. How, when, why, you know, biblical baptism. I want to talk about biblical repentance because there's such a thing as biblical repentance as well. What is biblical repentance? What is true, proper repentance? Well, the word repentance in the original Greek language meant a change of mind. A change of mind. Peter could have said, change your mind and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Examine those two words as they would have been understood by the audience of that time. Start with the word mind. Now in our society, 
We make a difference between the mind, don't we? Intelligence, thinking, deciding, which is in the head. You know, we say, well, what are you thinking about? Or, or if someone says something to us, we'll say, well, let me think about that for a second and we'll point to our head. What if, you know, you've got nothing to think about? And then when we talk about our emotions or our feelings, what do we do? We point to our heart, right? Oh, you really hurt my... We never say, you hurt my feelings, right? We say, you hurt my feelings, right? You point to your heart as your feelings. Well, the Jews during the first century, those people who were listening to uh, Peter, did not make this distinction. For them, the heart was the center of both the thoughts and the feeling. Jews didn't say, you know, I'll, I'll be thinking about that. For them, thinking and feeling were both coming from the same point. And as a matter of fact, it didn't come from the heart. It came from the kidney, from back here. That was the center of feeling, the center of emotion. So when Peter exhorted these people to repent, in other words, to change their minds, it was not merely a change of opinion he was asking from them. It was not merely a change of understanding concerning which religion they were going to belong to. He wasn't saying, change your religion. He wasn't saying to them, I've got a new religion. He wasn't saying that to them, but rather a call for a complete transformation or a revolution concerning the very heart of their lives, both their thinking and their feelings. Today, we would say, we want a change of heart. Actually, if we were translating this in the vernacular of today, we would be saying, have a change of heart and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. We'll make a little comment. Whoever's back there running this thing, this microphone's awfully hot. Just turn it down to me. Now, the central force that guided their thoughts and their actions and their feelings had to change. That's what Peter was saying. Not a superficial change, but a change at the core of their being. Because, you see, God changes us from the inside out. God doesn't change us from the outside in. That's our society does that. We cover over the outside with clothing and style and houses. You know, we cover the outside to give it some sort of impression. But God doesn't change us like that. Sometimes he doesn't change the outside of our circumstances at all. He changes us on the inside. And the change that happens on the inside works its way outside so that other people can see. All right, so that's one word, mind. The core of being, the thing that controls everything that we have. There needs to be a transformation there. And then the other word is change. There needs to be a change in this place in our lives. Now, our understanding of repentance is neither complete nor fruitful unless we understand how we are to change. A couple of ways that we need to change to make our repentance effective, to make it biblical, to be the kind of repentance that Peter was requiring of the people he spoke to and the Holy Spirit requires of us as well. The change of mind, three qualities necessary, three kinds of changes that are needed. First of all, the change must be complete. The change must be complete. Paul's repentance, for example, included a complete change of every aspect of his life. We read in Philippians chapter 3, 
beginning in verse 3, about Paul's former life. And permit me to read this passage to you so you can get an idea of the type of change that took place in Paul's life. He says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Paul says, boy, I was perfect. I was perfect. And yet, when Paul repented, every aspect of his life changed. The change in him was complete. He changed his religious beliefs. The things that he believed were changed because repentance means letting go what is not authorized by Christ, letting go what is not authorized by God. Paul changed those things. Even though what he believed was intimately connected to his culture, he changed those things. He abandoned those things. Paul also changed his purpose in life. His purpose in life was to destroy the church, to destroy Christianity. And when he changed, he changed completely around. His purpose in life became to build up Christianity, to build up the church. Paul changed also his view or his opinion of himself. As I read in Philippians, he thought he was okay. He thought he was perfect. According to the law, he was righteous. He was an okay person. This changed. And he began to see himself as one who desperately needed God's forgiveness. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, when he talks about sin, he says, I am the chief sinner. And so repentance also brings a complete change in the view that we have of ourselves. You see, radical changes are evident in every sinner who comes to God and who sincerely repents. You see, it shows when somebody repents because their life changes. And if nothing changes in your life, you need to be wondering about the kind of repentance that has been affected in your life. Now, many times, from a personal point of view, I see people bargaining with God when it comes to repentance. They think repentance means bargaining. They think it's a diplomatic uh, trade-off when it's time to repent. They're willing to change certain things But other things are not negotiable. You know, secret sins, bad habits, those little things that we like that we don't want to let go of. We need to understand that in order for repentance to be repentance, it has to involve the willingness to change every area in our lives that God points to. What we think, what we say, what we do, what we feel, less than this is not repentance. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, concerning repentance, true repentance, and the difference between godly repentance and worldly repentance. In verse 10, he says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. See what I'm getting at? Godly repentance produces a change without regret. I've seen Christians change, but they're so sorry for what they've left behind. The good old days. Paul says godly repentance is without regret. 
leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Produces death. Without complete repentance, we cannot progress spiritually. So what kind of change is necessary? A complete change in every aspect of our life. Everything's on the table when it comes to godly repentance. Secondly, the change must be Christ-centered. A complete change and a Christ-centered change. Repentance is not change for its own sake. You don't just change for, for its own sake. Repentance is a turning away from sin and a turning towards Jesus Christ. We need to understand that repentance is a lot more than just a new religion. We're not just exchanging an old religion for a new religion. We're not just exchanging old rules for new rules. You know, like, well, I'm going to stop smoking, stop drugs, stop the illicit sex, stop cheating. I'm going to be more humble and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then in, in exchange for this, I'm going to start learning the Bible, go to church, you know, and so on and so forth. We make repentance into a little game whereby if we let go a few bad things and add on a few good things, we win this real neat prize called heaven. That's not repentance. Most of our spiritual struggle many times is nothing of the sort, but merely an ongoing negotiation with God concerning which sins we can keep and which ones we can let go. That's not repentance. That's what the Jews believed and practiced. And Jesus condemned them for their hypocrisy, just as he'll condemn us for this kind of hypocrisy as well. Repentance is not an exchange of good deeds for heaven. Repentance is heaven. Repentance is the action where one recognizes that sin is destroying him and sees the hope of this life in the Son of God and turns away from death to the one who can save him. We need to understand that repentance is a complete turning away from all sin and a turning towards a person not turning towards a religion or a set of rules or even towards a group. Before we were slaves to feelings, before we were slaves to desires, before we were slaves to ignorance and to sin, but now we have been freed from these things and called to build a relationship with a divine person. It's just not an, a new indoctrination. Repentance is not indoctrination. It is the building of a new relationship with a person. Paul tells Christians that they are to be transformed. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Don't be conformed to this world, he says, but be ye transformed. Transformed. Repentance is the conscious experience of that transformation taking place. I repeat this. Repentance is the conscious experience of the transformation taking place. In repentance, we actually see and feel ourselves changing from physical and temporal beings into spiritual, eternal, Christ-like beings. That's why I say repentance is a taste of heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. Spiritual doesn't mean magic or mysterious. Spiritual means godly and Christ-like. Which brings me to the third quality 
of the change necessary in repentance. Let me review with you what we've said. We've said that repentance is a change of mind at the core of our being. And we've said that repentance uh, uh, requires a change at this level. And this change must be complete, must be Christ-centered, and finally this change must be continuous. Continuous. Since repentance is a living, dynamic experience of our spiritual transformation, it must continue to be evident in our lives because the lack of it is the direct signal that we're dying spiritually. When repentance is no, no longer a dynamic factor in our lives, that's the red light going off that we're beginning to fade out spiritually. Now, if there was anyone who had reason to boast concerning how good and how hardworking and how productive and how smart he was, it was the Apostle Paul, again. Based on these things, based on the things that he did in the name of religion, Paul could declare how spiritually alive that he was. Had he done this, however, he would have been no better than the Jewish legalists he fought all of his life. But the dynamic of repentance was continually at work in him. And this was the witness that he was alive spiritually, not his achievement. Do you get what I'm saying here? Paul could have listed, I, I, I established churches, I converted people, I did this, I did that. And had he depended on these achievements to testify that he was alive spiritually, he would have been no better off than the Jewish legalists. What I'm saying is the thing that testified to his life spiritually was the fact that he understood that he was a sinner and that he needed the cross of Christ as we sang this morning and that his ongoing struggle with sin, this was the thing that testified that he was alive spiritually. So many times, many of us have Christianity backwards. We want to do great things for God so we can reassure ourselves that we're alive spiritually and that we'll go to heaven. So we become super Christian and super proud and super dependent on our works and super lost and super condemned. Or we see that there are a lot of sins in our lives that are in the way of doing great things and we become discouraged and we don't even try to deal with sin and we think we're lost because we didn't do all of those wonderful things for God when in reality we're lost because we didn't repent. See, the way to be saved, the way to be spiritual, Christ-like, dynamic, pleasing to God, mature in Christ, is to repent completely in Christ and continually every day of our lives. Paul said, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. And Paul could say this because he had consciously experienced the transformation within himself powered by a sincere, spiritual, and ongoing repentance in his life. It's this struggle, it's this wrestling around with repentance day in and day out that tells me that I'm still alive spiritually. And so many times people who come to me and we talk about the Bible and we talk about spiritual things are discouraged for the very thing that ought to encourage them. They say, boy, I'm always struggling with sin. I say, praise the Lord. That's, that's the signal that you're alive, that you're moving ahead that your eyes are open, that you know who you are, that you're close to the cross of Christ. The people I worry about are the people who say, well, hey, what's the problem? I don't have any struggle with sin. Everything is okay. Those people, those are the walking dead. And it's so sad because they don't even know the trouble that they're in. 
Let's face it. If Paul the Apostle, at the end of his life, could say, I'm the chief of sinners, certainly all of us need to be able to relate to our sin day after day after day. If Paul did not depend on his works for salvation, which one of us could depend on what we do in order to be right with God? Can we say the same? Can we say the same as Paul said, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Can we say that Christ is our very life and that death will be an increase? You ever wonder what an increase will be? Paul says, to him to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what he's saying is, when I die, what I will gain is more of Jesus Christ because my sinful flesh will no longer be in the way. Can we say that? That to live is Christ and to die is more of Jesus Christ? Or is our actual situation one that says, for me to live is blank. And you fill in the blank with whatever is at the center of your life. For me to live is work. For me to live is pleasure. For me to live is power. For me to live is security. For me to live is uh, whatever, fame. Well, if that's what's in the blank, I can finish the sentence for you. Because if, if, if it is for me to live is money, and Jesus is not at the center of your life, then I guarantee you that death will be at the end of your life. Because without Christ, death frees the spirit only to eternal darkness and not to eternal life. I ask you this morning, do you want to repent? Do you understand what this means? Do you really and truly repent now? And have you and will you repent every day after? Is that what you want? If you do, a couple of things to help. First of all, Make the decision that there is no sin in your life that you will not abandon for Jesus Christ. You really want biblical repentance, then you put it on the table that there is nothing that you are willing not to give up for Jesus Christ. Whether you're able to let it go today or not, what I'm saying to you is decide today that you are willing to completely repent and ask God to accomplish this thing in your life starting today. Secondly, begin living your Christian life. And your Christian life is lived out in the church and through study and prayer and service and so on and so forth. Begin living your Christian life as if it is a relationship with a person, not a relationship with a religion. After all, all the things that we do as Christians is really an outworking of our relationship with a person. For example, church, right, is our public worship to the Lord, not to our history as Church of Christ. We're not celebrating our, 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 our restoration history. There's no day in the calendar when we celebrate Mr. Brother Campbell or Stone. We don't do that. Worship is our relationship to the Lord. Prayer is our private talk with whom? With the Lord. Study is our instruction from the Lord. Service is our work for the Lord. Live your life as if it is a relationship with a divine person, not an institution. I will not die for an institution. 
I will not lay myself down for an institution, for a person, for the Lord, yes, not for a building. And finally, recognize that dealing with sin and dealing with ignorance is at the core of the Christian experience here on earth. Recognize that the sign that we are alive and dynamic and mature is our daily experience of the struggle to continually repent. The continual repentance is the sign that the Word and that our faith and that the Holy Spirit is truly having an effect in changing our will. Your struggle is your sign that God is in you and Christ is working out your salvation. I ask, is repentance causing a revolution in your life? A revolution of change at the core of your being? Is there a need for you to begin today to repent? If you're not a member of the body of Christ, if you're not a Christian, we go back to Acts chapter 2 verse 38. If you're willing to have this kind of change in your life, then the next step is to be buried in the waters of baptism that you might wash away your sins and receive the Holy Spirit and learn more of the things of Christ. And if you are a Christian and perhaps you have fallen away or become worldly or separated from Christ because of an improper understanding or a sinful lifestyle, then you need to repent. You need to change that. Decide to change and come and receive the ministry of prayer from the elders in the church here. Whatever your need, please make it known now as we stand and as we sing our song of encouragement. 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 Encouragement.